So a few people have contacted me saying that we should focus some episodes on just talking music. And I think that's a fine idea. I've said it before, but I really am blown away by the very kind comments we've been receiving and the suggestions that maybe we um, we explore some interviews uh, where we delve a bit more into music. So with that in mind, I'm very pleased to say that our first guest in this new series of Talking Music is professional musician, producer and songwriter Ewan Grono. He's previously been uh, in bands like Haven and the Mutineers and is currently working um, and is probably best known as Johnny Marr's bass player. Ewan is originally from Cornwall, but now lives and works in Manchester. Um, After he was made aware of the charity and um, the work that we do with the JGT, he was immediately proactive and keen to get involved. And I'm very grateful to him for taking time out of his recording schedule to um, have this podcast interview with me today. In every sense of the word, Ewan is a music industry professional, but I was keen to begin the interview by asking him where it all began. Well, I, I grew up in Cornwall, um, right down the very end of Cornwall, like right, right near Land's End. Um, and at the time that I was growing up in my school, we, we, had a, we had a really good music department. I didn't actually take music, it's quite strange, but we, you could still, the thing with our school is you could still get involved with music anyway, um, even if you didn't take the subject. So they would like put on assemblies and, you know, we, we would, um, we would get bands together and um, we would play in assemblies and we play like, we would play all sorts of stuff. You know, it, it was like some of it was death metal, some thrash metal, because metal was quite a, yeah. quite um, big down in Cornwall around that time that, that um, I was in school basically. And, um, and sort of punk and, sort of heavy heavy music really and um we all used to we all used to get bands together it was, it was quite a good like um uh, a scene down there really um sort of skateboarding surfing and music it all sort of fell hand, hand in hand really and um we all we got a band together and we started started off with metal and uh, it, it was Nat Wayson, um, Tom Lewis, um, I can't remember who else in the band. Guy Matthew called the guy's called Beaver. He was called. He was like a double bass drummer. His nickname yeah. is Beaver. And he, um, we got a band together, and I, I would sing like this, this sort of horrendous death metal stuff, and play bass. And um, we all used to sort of write write music. I mean, we were, we were writing music back then, really. I mean, some of it was pretty bad but it was all it was all yeah. learning really and it was all quite difficult some of it so when we started to move on to indie music it's it was it was a lot easier really we, we started getting into nirvana and stuff like that right. but we it's interesting that the um the platform for that was provided for you by the music department at school though wasn't it? our teacher was called mr everett um he was great and he he was he was always putting performances on and like assemblies, we would sing Beatles songs and, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always like hymns. It was, it was, um, you know, Bob Dylan songs and stuff like that. So everyone in the morning, they were, we would sing all these songs and then a band would come on and, um, it was great really. I mean, he, he, he was great because he would let, you didn't have to be, um doing lessons with him he, he you know you go in there at lunchtime and you yeah. can ask him you know i need to borrow this lead for this or guitar for this or so um it was great really. yeah he was happy to really good. yeah so many musicians i speak to it all all roads seem to lead back to the to, yes. to the school experience i think it's quite important i think it's crucial to give every musician as you say whether they're doing GCSE or A level or not you know try to give them a platform really so you didn't have any sort of formal music training then you didn't do GCSE or A level or rock school grades or one-to-one lessons my dad was a musician so he he when um when we used to live in London we we moved down to Cornwall when I was about three years old and um he he was in a band like a punk band called Wolf Boys which were um 
they were signed yeah. to Rocket Records and, um, you know, they got played on uh, John Peel's show. And um, so he, he, my dad would always have a lot of um, guitars around the house. And um, I was always like, then right. he would always put them on the wall, maybe in, on stands and stuff. And he kind of, it's just, I was just really intrigued by it really. So I would like, I would pull the guitar off the wall. Just, it wasn't anything that he sort of put upon or anything. He just, he just left. Yeah. He always used to play a lot of music and he always used to leave the instruments around and, you know, you end up sort of being quite intrigued by it. Yeah. So in that, in that sense, were you, were you self-taught or did you eventually get some lessons? We used to just learn songs really. Like we would listen to, yeah. my dad used to um, put a lot of his albums onto tape cassette for me. And then he just bought me a little sort of a, a stereo tape cassette thing you know but, and then he would just put on sort of JJ Kale, Jimi Hendrix, um, all sorts of stuff, Cream and all the all this kind of music and then I would just sit and I just started to learn it once I could start to play I would start to learn it I had I think I had a few lessons in school but not that many really but I sort of enjoyed it more right. just just at home really just working at home but it was shown in an incredibly positive light i think music wasn't it for you by the from what you're saying if guitars were on display and you were you know surrounded by it in that sense i think um my friend nat wason i mean he, he plays with all it's all of our friends that played that uh that we were in a band with and moved around in different bands and stuff they're all playing music now it all stuck with them so it's kind of um yeah, yeah me and nat we used to we used to sort of learn songs and then we would sort of perform in a bedroom and then we would we would um yeah you know we we got the band together and um we just ended up trying to gig around in st just and around sort of penzance and Another friend of ours called Mickey, who's, who, who's also in Ben Howard's band, uh, and is also in another band uh, called Blazer Feather. He, we, he was involved in bands with us, and you know we used to play at a club called the Bosons, and there was a big, a big sort of music scene. Really, there was different acts going on every week, and people would jump up and play certain songs. Like Mickey would have a band, and then I'd come up and sing two or three sort of sex pistol songs or something and and then it was all yeah it was all like part partying but all sort of trying to sort of learn learn a bit of a craft as well so but it was it was great and yeah. we're all still in contact now and everyone's still still sort of doing music which is it's stuck with everyone amazing so were you were you uh, mainly singing then or playing guitar or bass or a bit of everything I kind of fell into bass playing really. I, I started the guitar first and um, yeah. we, I, I ended up playing the bass because we had, we had two guitarists at the time. So I started playing bass and then I'd sing a bit as well. And then when we moved, when we met Gary, um, Nat, Nat met Gary in college um, in Penzance and this is Haven, Haven singer Gary that's when it started to turn, turn, not, I wouldn't say serious, but it started to, we started to write proper songs and the stuff before was a little bit, kind of a bit jokey and a bit fun. And, um, you know, just learning how to play, write some words and stuff. But when we met Gary, Gary, Gary had like a proper voice, a, a very, you know, when right. he sang, you were just, you were just like, well, this, you know, this guy's a singer. And he, yeah. once we started with him, it was, we started to write proper songs and, and he had, he, he'd already written songs and he was, he, you know, him and that were writing stuff a lot and we, we would do different songs together. But, um, that's when it started to turn into when we were doing, doing gigs, they were starting to get a lot better and they were, and they were starting to turn into our own thing. And it wasn't just like we were, we were doing to, you know, we were, the, we would do half a set of covers and half a set of our own stuff. And then we would right, right. Duck. So 
did you come across any particular barriers or hurdles with that with that because that, that sounds like your first real band yeah in a sense how did you overcome the kind of obvious hurdles that that come up against these young bands trying to make it we were very lucky with our parents they were very very supportive um and it got to the point where joe joe moss was um coming down to Cornwall and a friend of ours um, was good, good mates with Joe and he would come down on visits down there and he was managing Marion at the time. And he started to come to our gigs and then he started to overlook us a bit. He never, it, with Joe, he sort of, he'd never sort of say that he was manager until it was actually sort of around the right time. He just sort of, he was just sort of seeing how we were developing and I think he was also seeing if we were, we, you know, we meant it and we re really wanted to do it. And that was a point then when it started to, you know, all the covers were sort of subsiding and then we, we were getting a full set of songs. And then he, he would slowly be sort of, but surely managing us then. And that's when we had to make a decision, you know, we had to decide whether to stay down yeah. to court in Cornwall or move. So did you make a conscious decision at that point to become you know, a professional musician and decide to try to make a living in the creative industries? Or did that just kind of, you know, organically happen? It kind of organically happened. And when there was a point where it was, it was around uni time, I had a place in uni and it was a decision time. I think I deferred a year. I could defer a year. And yeah. then after that year the band i think we played we supported the blue tones um because mark and scott the blue tones his their mum lived down in cornwall and i think me and nat did an assembly performance with mark morris as well we did we played and um, blue tonic yeah. at assembly which was amazing you know we were so young it was like <laughs> You know, yeah, Kate, Kate Cornwall at first thing in the morning playing with Mark Morris and, you know, we were totally blown away. And that that led to a support slot. And then um, yeah. that was the sort of time where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't defer another year. I had to make a decision then. And so I just decided right. that, you know, I was going to give it a go, really. What were you planning on studying at uni? Geology. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Geology, okay. yeah. Um, I did some strange subjects at A-level, but did ceramics, which I really enjoyed. They were sort of mostly arts stuff, really. Geology and then English. Yeah. I didn't do so well at English. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. What we, we, I know we've already touched on this, but playing in the assemblies, I think it's such a tough gig, isn't it? You know, nine o'clock on a rainy Tuesday morning with all the, all the hall lights on. It's such a great learning curve for kids, isn't it? Because if, if you can enjoy and experience that. Because it, it also sort of gives you, um, teaches you about being in, in front of an audience, you know, and that the sort of nerves and the, you know, the kind of stage performance as well, as well as just playing the songs, really. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's notoriously difficult, isn't it, to make a living out of this subject? And how did you deal with that in the early years? Did you did you have other work and other jobs that you did? Yeah, we did. We combined. Um, I mean, you know, we were signing on for quite a bit. You know, we, we did the New Deal for Musicians and it was really, um, it was sort of, it was really helpful really around that time. And um, Joe would help us out. He, I mean, he was really good. He would work, he kind of worked with the job centre and say, look, this is not, you know, they're not bombing around and they're not, you know, this is something that yeah. they're, you know, this something could happen here. So there would be a cross between that, you know, there'd be a bit of that and there'd be a bit of working part-time in bars and, and stuff like that. So, but Joe was, Joe was very supportive on that side of things. You know, he would, he would really, you know, cause obviously you, you would, a lot of the job center stuff, it's sort of frowned upon a bit, but we, we were working really hard. You know, we were writing every day and we were, turning up at Joe's with a list of songs and we were recording and, and doing gigs at, uh, Heat and More and the Blue Cap with Danny, who Danny was super mm -hmm. supportive. I mean, Danny's one of, also one of the reasons why we, you know, Haven existed really. So Joe was the manager at this time, was he? We moved, we finally made the decision to move up to Manchester. He said, 
said, if you, ah, right. you know, if you want to give it a go, then you, you'll have to move up to Manchester really. And we, we sort of put it off for a bit. We were really nervous about it at first. And, um, you know, because we'd all grown up in Cornwall and it being by the sea and stuff, you, you miss that, you know, and especially for Tom, our, our drummer, he, he didn't enjoy it so much in the city and he eventually moved back because, um, he, he just loved it down in Cornwall, you know, um, after Tom Lewis left and went back to Cornwall, Jack Mitchell joined the band. Yeah. I play with Jack in Johnny's band now. Uh, we played mm-hmm. together for years. Jack's an amazing drummer. So what year would this have been? I think it'd be late, late sort of 90s, I think. I think the, the, I think we were doing releases around sort of early 2000s. So I imagine we moved around that to Right. We, it's quite a funny story because we moved, we put everything in a van and Gary's dad, Gary the singer, his, his dad just hired a van. We threw everything in like our amps, duvets, pillows, and we just turned up at his house. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of like, I felt so sorry for Janet, his wife, and, um, you know, and the kids uh, just looking, looking over the, dad's shoulder sort of thinking what what are these guys doing here and he eventually put, he put us up in in our room in his room in Eaton Moor and we eventually rented a flat in um Eaton Moor but um yeah it was crazy I mean I I, I remember yeah. like being really ner- you know really nervous about it because we the city to us was just, just really daunting you know it was kind of like very right. very strange total and this band was Haven Yes, and that's we didn't have we weren't called Haven at that point. But then, then when we started to um, started to sort of get comfortable in Heatonmore and Stockport, and started to do some gigs, we had we all had all sorts of names, and then we finally um, plumped on Haven. So Joe was steering things for you then. But in Manchester, what were the uh, the music venues like, and who were the big hitters at the time? He used to go to place night and day, and he, we, we basically went sort of went straight into night and day. Um, we didn't we didn't do gigs there straight away, but we we would hang around in night and day, and um, we would have meetings in night and day. And around that time, it was you know it was Damon Goff, Bad Drum Boy, it was Doves, Elbow, Alfie. Um, there's there there quite a few bands and um it was it was a really good scene you know you right. pop in there and right. you see you see guy garvey you know getting a brew and then back to him and then joe would introduce you to people and it was it was you know it was amazing because you were learning you know you know you're learning what the music scene was like yeah um doves i think were just about i'm not sure they were doves then, but I remember, I remember because Joe used to have a clothing label called, um, no, Johnny used to have a clothing label called Elk, um, a friend of ours called Matt Ryan. And we used to go, Matt Ryan used to have an office on Dale Street and we used to go and see Matt and we'd be trying on the clothes and then Jimmy would come in and right. Jim, I remember we were sat talking to Jimmy and they were about to do Glastonbury, I think, and we, were, we, we sort of said, oh, what's, what's your band called? And he goes, oh, we've, we've, we're called Doves. And they just, at that point, um, just named the band. And now it's like, you know, you look back at it and you think it's crazy, you know, you know that you, you, you were sort of sat there in the, around that time. Really. It, was, it was really, I mean, for us, we didn't really know about yeah. it either. So yeah. it was kind of learning, but, but it was exciting. You know, it was like, um, it really sort of inspired you and it inspired us to just sort of get our heads down and start, you know, we wanted to be part of that scene, really. That's, that's a real rock and roll story. That's great, isn't it? Pack up the van in Cornwall, pack up your guitars and your apps and throw, throw a few T-shirts in a bag and, you know, get up to the northwest. We signed off in, we signed off in Penzance and we signed on in Stockport. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that's what Brilliant. Yeah, Is yeah. there a memorable piece of advice from that time that's kind of stayed with you? that you could share with us, you and something that maybe one of these industry professionals told or said, said to you at that time that you've kind of used. I think around, 
around the time when we were playing a lot in night, night and day, I remember we were rehearsing upstairs in night and day because Jan, Jan and Joe, Jan, the owner of um, night and day, um, they were really big mates, you know, they, they, they went back years and Jan, Jan was lovely, you know, he's a great guy. And he, he was also very su supportive, you know, and he, he let us rehearse upstairs. And I remember um, Damon Goff coming in and we played, um, he came in with Joe up to the rehearsal room and chatted to us. And then we played till the end to him and uh, one of our songs, I think it was, our, well, it was a first single, it was an EP single we did. And he straight away just said, do you want to go on tour nice. with us? You know, so, and he, he just won the Mercury Prize at that point. So that was, you know, I remember Joe walking out with him and having a chat with him. The next minute, Joe sat downstairs again in night and day having a brew and stuff or a beer or whatever. And then Joe said that Damon wants you, us to, you know, support wow. him. And that, for me, that was, that was, that was the first time I, I sort of thought, well, this is like, you know, we're kind of, this is a band, you know, this is, this is some, you know, we're actually doing a tour, you know, we'd never toured. We, we would do a gig every, like every weekend or, yeah. you know, we'd never done a gig back to back. And so that was, that was a point that I sort of really just sort of remember that moment quite Amazing. clearly. If any of our listeners want to listen to anything by Haven, where can they track it down or stream it from? You can, yeah, you can listen to stuff on Spotify. The, um, yeah, um, st there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Um, the first album was called Between the Senses. Um, second album's called All for a Reason. We did two okay. albums. Um, the first, our sort of, the single, our biggest sort of hit really was Say Something. Um, that got to 24 in the charts and um we till the end was the second single and we got on top yeah, of the amazing. box till the end what was that like it must have been was, a... it was amazing it was it was strange because it was um um we we played live and we've been on tour and you we you played you played the track yeah, twice live was it you played there and, um, on top of the pops oh, okay yeah we played live i mean you can you had the option i think I think that's right. Whether you wanted the band to mime and then the singer to, to sing live or just right. play live. And we just did the whole thing live. And we, we'd been touring, so we were, we were ready to go yeah. anyway. And we would have, you know, we didn't want to mime really. So um, I think you can still see that. I think it might be on Jack Drummer, Jack Mitchell. He's, I think he found it. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Say something by Haven. You're listening to the Joe Gilligan Trust podcast with this week's guest, professional musician, producer, and songwriter, Ewan Grono. So tell us a bit more about Top of the Pops. I 
think it was near the time that it might have been finishing as well. So we were just really, really glad that we got that got that moment really that we could do it. What I'm what I'm picking up on you and is is that you know for somebody who's had your level of success, it's it's wonderful that you've not really had that kind of formal training. It's just been, you know, you've been surrounded by positivity and by, you know, opportunity. What do you think makes songwriters and musicians unique and successful? What qualities do people have who tend to be successful in the industry? I think, I think obviously originality is pretty important. Um, but I think a lot of it is is also there's there's quite a bit of luck involved. You know, it's being at the right place at the right time. You know, and there's 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 a, a lot of music that is is so so really really good that doesn't get you know doesn't get the the push that perhaps other people do mm. you know and that's i think that's what's tough about music you know that it's it's um the longevity of it now it's kind of like when an album comes out it kind of it's 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 sort of out and then it's gone quite quickly sometimes now it's, it's hard to keep stuff rolling on so i think back that's back in the time of when when we released the album you know the album release would go on for, for a long time you know you could kind of drag it out for a long mm. a long period of time. the interest would stay there for quite a long time whereas now because there's so much music yeah you know and streaming and, you know people are releasing all the time and i think because it's there's so much so much being released it's it's hard for it's really hard for young bands to keep the longevity to go yeah. you know they've built up all that album they've spent all the you know a lot of the time spent all their money on it spent all you know gone through hell and back sometimes to try and try and keep the band together to try and and then the release will happen and there's all the build-up but it's very hard to sort of keep it sort of rolling really and i think that's that's what's tough about the new industry really at the yeah moment. yeah there's a there's a lot of disposable music out there isn't there there's music that as you say that yes. comes and goes and i think if you can write something that's memorable then that's that's quite a yeah, um, yeah definitely talking about original and memorable music i really enjoyed your track high symbol oh right okay the, the whole kind of layered sounds that are going on and all those different timbres and and I think it's a real lesson for younger yeah. you know, musicians because around about three three minutes when the, the drums kick in and it kind of explodes into that, um, you know, dynamic track. I think it's, I think all those layered harmonies and strings and voices, I think it's a really clever, clever piece of music here and really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I think it takes the listener on a journey through the track. And I think that's very clever songwriting. And then, of course, there's a connection at the end with the gambling helpline. Um, if you don't mind me asking this question, how did that connection happen? I've read a couple of stories about gambling, and I also, I also watched this. I can't remember what the program was. It was a long time ago. And um, it was a program about a, a, a guy who, you know, was just had lost oh, or, you know, lost everything really to gambling. And he, he just lived in a little flat and... It really sort of stuck with me, and I kind of, I kind of get, you know, I enjoy a bit of football, you know, Man City supporter, and I, I watch, you know, I watch a bit of football, and I, I, I get a bit annoyed by those sort of, those, I don't know, is it bet free, what are they old? They're based in Stoke on Trent, up the road here. They are. Yeah, oh, are they? Of course, yeah. I, I live just up the road from the Stoke City Stadium, which is another story. We won't go there, uh, but yeah, <laughs> that three six five sponsor um, Stoke. Yeah, so they're a huge employer as well. But um, I, yeah, it's overloaded. Just kind of annoyed, but it is yeah, and um, it kind of it stuck with me really. And it was kind of the words really when when I got the melody because a lot of the time when I sing I'll get the melody down and then you'll just be singing nonsense really, mm. just trying to get some words and. I sort of researched it a bit and then the, some of the terms of gambling really sort of fit with that, with the melody. Mm. And that, that, I think that song was a quick, lyrically was probably the quickest one I've written nice. really. Um, sometimes other ones would take, take a lot longer and you'd be trying to sometimes get like a, a theme or a subject or sometimes it's just parts of 
you know, or its emotions and stuff like that. But that one, that one was really quick. What is the creative process normally like for you then? You know, how do you keep yourself motivated and, and interested? Is it things like that? Something will spark your interest and you'll use that as a starting point? Yeah, I, I generally, I generally start a lot of it from the acoustic. Um, right. I've got, I'm lucky enough to have like a, a room in the, in the cellar that where we, we, where I've got my equipment, I can record in there and I'll start usually upstairs I'll be playing with the acoustic and if I get a riff I'll either transfer the riff to a keyboard part or um, and then I'll start putting you know some sample beats down and yeah. stuff and then just build it up like that um, and then generally I'll try and get the melody early just so then I can then go back to the acoustic and then try and work write an arrangement and then put parts together right. and then but sometimes, I mean, In the Maya was completely different. In the Maya was just done, was written all all around that keyboard riff at the start. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that that came fairly quickly, but it was all revolved around that part. You know, yeah. the chord changes was all to do with that keyboard. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's it's you can you know sometimes you can put a beat down and then you get inspired just by the beat or yeah, but. Pi symbol was more, more based around the guitar, really, more, more around the acoustic. I really enjoyed listening to your music um, when I was planning the podcast and getting to know you. Um, I've really enjoyed your your kind of musical journey, really, right the way from Cornwall up to the present day in Manchester. Really interesting. Well, thank you. So, but but if if you did have the opportunity to you know collaborate with others, is there anybody that you'd be quite keen to work with? Anybody that you've got in the pipeline? Or I don't know really. I mean, I'm listening to Savages quite a bit. Um, I'm listening to Fat White Family. Um, I love I love that album, Surfs Up. Um, I'm not quite sure he's he produced that, but um, yeah, Beats BC Camp Light, and I like the stuff that he's he's doing and um band called warm douche as well so i'd like i like i like some of the stuff to, that's a little bit off the wall really i used to write a lot of instrumental music um this instrumental music would generally yeah. just have bvs on it um quite sparse really um me and tom twemlow wrote quite a bit of stuff to try and push for for tv and film work for sync stuff really but this sort of later on turned more into a solo venture and um, tom drums on the tracks and mixes the tracks um very talented great great drummer great guitarist and sing as well pretty multi-talented really so um he's sort of been with me all along the way really a great guy I kind of like musician producers as well, really. There's a band called Sorry as well. Um, I really like the production of them. Um, they've got a track uh, called Perfect, which is a, which I really like as well. But it's all it's generally a, a generally a sort of mix of synth stuff as guitar stuff. You know, I, I was in a band called the Mutineers, and um, we. Um, I learned a lot. We, we used to do a lot of synth stuff. Our singer Nick um, got heavily into synths and was a really good keys player. So he um, we we wrote a lot of stuff based around synths. And um, I've been recording, just recently recording with Tom and Phil, New Order. We've been doing some stuff. And, and Beth, who was in Section 25, and Elliot, who was in Folks. And we've been we've been recording loads and um, sort of that since since especially Tom Chapman he's he's heavily into synth music and I and I really enjoy that you know I, I like the mix of the um, the kind of guitar stuff and the synth stuff so I try and um, we've brought a lot of that into the stuff we're doing which is getting well I'm you know it's getting exciting really it's sounding really good. So. Moving away from music a second, how do you relax and switch off? Have you got any particular interests outside of music? I, 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 try, and, I try and read as much as I possibly can. I sort of, I, I'm one of those readers that sort of go in and out of it, depending on what, I've, what I'm writing at the time. Um, 
I do like, I generally do a bit of running, um, but at the moment, you know, we do stuff, we, me and my wife, we've just been a lot, doing a lot of stuff on the house and um, I enjoy stuff like that. And, um, but at the moment, obviously with what's happening, everything has been, it's not <laughs> much that we can do. Obviously I try to, I try to do, I go in and out of exercise, there'll be, there'll be times when I'll be doing a lot of it and then, I'll fall away from it. I've been doing, trying to do quite a bit of yoga as well to sort of try and relax a bit because sometimes, sometimes it's kind of with so much stuff going on, you kind of mind sort of going a bit too fast. So I kind of try my best to try and do a bit of yoga to try and sort of calm down. Lots of people seem to be interested at the moment in things like mindfulness practice. Have you ever thought about that or tried any of those? Yeah, meditation. That's like, yeah, well, Johnny's um, Johnny meditates. Um, it's something that I've. There's a bit of sort of meditation in yoga, but there's 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 definitely I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, but Johnny's um, that's a great thing with Johnny. He's kind of um, not only is he sort of great to work with, he's he's sort of good at sort of you know telling you certain things yeah. that will help you sort of you know mentally as well so um so yeah meditation something i'll definitely definitely look into it so looking back over lockdown you've coped all right because it's, it's left the arts in such a fragile place hasn't it it's tough it's i'm it's worrying and i think you know the there, there has been support support from the self-employed and i'm you know we're i'm very lucky in that my wife can work at home and there has been some support there but mm. The thing is, that support will sort of end soon. And I think the main thing is for the crews and for the people that the, the music venues, I know the music venue trust has been amazing. Um, and the stuff, the work that they've done to try and help these venues out and the staff has been good, but there, there needs to be more help from the government, really. I mean, there's been some help, but it's it's getting to the point now because the until social distancing stops you can't really see proper gigs going on i mean i did see a gig in newcastle that had like those sort of scaffolding mm. pens that were put around and i thought i thought that was brilliant and that yeah that sort of that was positive and i think i mean there was a few people that were quite negative about it but if that brings people back into work if it brings you know the the people doing the tech in the lighting people the people doing merch the all the, the promoters you know there's there's so many people that that make up a gig you know it's not the, it's not just the band you know when when we're yeah. touring with johnny our, our our crew are are pretty much like family to us you know we're all we all keep in touch and you spend so much time with them you know you can spend like do a six-week tour with them and everyone gets on really, really well. And yeah. you to think that, you know, there comes a point where I've had a chat with a you know, a couple of them and we, we did a Zoom first off when it all started off and you know, it's worrying, you know, you know, everyone's terrified to know is there gonna be Absolutely is there gonna be injuries industry to fall back on and also is there kind of like there needs to be some support from mm. And there isn't at the moment, you know. And I know they're yeah. trying, but just fingers Absolutely. crossed something happens, really. It's certainly going to be quite a recovery period, isn't it? It's not It's not going to be a quick fix to this. No. Well, we've, like, with Johnny, we 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 had a killer's tour cancelled. We I think that would probably been around now. And a full festival of... of, of um, gigs but you know that everyone's the same you know everyone's in the same boat yeah. there's there's been so much that's cancelled and um i think you know the, the especially the smaller venues as well they can't they can't social distance i know that danny's danny in the blue cat and he's he's a smaller um venue and he, he puts on uh, acoustic stuff and bands on you know he can't he can't put put gigs on because it's because you can't social social distance in there, and those those smaller venues. I mean, it's great the Gorilla and um, uh, Death Institute. They were they were going to go under, and and thankfully 
they're you know they're not going under any you know they've they've been that's they're going to be saved but those venues for young bands and especially like you know with with tom phil and beth and elliot will we'll be looking to be doing some gigs yeah at some point and to know that those venues you know that they some of them might not be there is and some of those people who you know not have any jobs and think of all their families it's terrifying <laughs> very very worrying isn't it and it's going to affect music at grassroots level if there's we talked about platforms and opportunities earlier if those grassroots venues are gone or going it's going to be it's going to take some time yeah i mean what's the what's the state with the sugar mill in stoke yeah the same really at the moment it's just closed for business uh, so sugar they, mill. are they are they going to be okay or I hope so. Um, there's there's a number of venues. There's the Victoria Hall as well, which yeah, um, yeah. is in the heart of the city, which is um, it seems to be advertising on its website, but um, there's, there's there's nothing really happening. Um, yeah. I think we're all just waiting for the next wave of guidance, aren't we? So that hopefully, fingers crossed that it's just been so. It's everything's just been a bit of an afterthought, hasn't it? It's, it's little. It's everything's too late. It's a bit everything's slow, you know. I mean, I've never been a never Tories, you know. I don't. I don't want to get into that conversation, but it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, best not do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's it's a bad time, isn't it? You know, and it's just a bit sad. I feel like the UK has has just got a lot. A, a bit of a struggle on at the, you know not, not just covid and all the sort of brexit stuff it just seems everything it seems very down at the moment and um we need they need to, they just need support i mean the main the, they, the, the nhs you know that's they need to really get behind the nhs more and they need to be giving them higher wages and absolutely they, couldn't agree more because it's been a, it's been a grim 18 months hasn't it yes it, it has, has. and it's kind of like you know the clapping thing was it's great and it's really good but it's not they don't want people just outside clap no pay them more money yeah. it's shameful really you know to think that you know the, the, and it's all those key workers that are finally like they've they've been they've um they've worked so hard and they've and the key work you know a lot of people didn't know what key workers were and it's only sort of in a pandemic that they they finally get noticed which is terrible they should have been noticed from day one really so tell us how it all started with johnny Moore. how did you become his bass player he, um johnny produced um the Haven albums um, and he, Joe Moss managed the Smiths. Um, I'm not sure for how long he managed them for a part of their career. And Johnny and Joe, very close, you know. Um, yeah, they, um, Johnny and Joe very close and Joe, Joe basically brought us around to, to Johnny's really, brought, him around, brought us around to Joe, uh, Johnny's studio. And then we, um, we met around that time. I think we, I think we delivered. I think we we delivered like a Hammond organ to him in a van because he needs to get a Hammond back from a studio in Cheed or Revolution, I think. Andy at Revolution. Um, we we put it in the van and then we turned up at Johnny's house and then he he was just great and we met Angie and we met uh, Sonny and Niall and they were just they were just so nice and from that day really i think i think we must have known johnny now for about 20 years or or more um and from that day he's always he's, he's you know been very supportive and he i think he he just liked he liked the fact we were from cornwall as well he liked that um he was sort of interested in cornwall and interested in what it was like down there and um and the music and stuff and we we um we we ended up he event eventually produced the first album i think we did like i think we did five or six tracks which didn't get on the first album that were just like tracks maybe to, to put to labels or um which were great really really good and um he he taught us loads you know we immediately sort of 
you you learned so much in sort of a short space of time um, about songwriting, about your own instrument, about what, you know, um, I mean, I, at that point, I wasn't r really singing that much then, I don't think, because Gary was singing a lot and he, he sort of got me into doing backing vocals. Whereas I would, at that point, I was sort of thinking, I don't, I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to concentrate on playing bass. And then, but then you start to learn how to play and sing and he, he really sort of pushed you, which was, um, which was great really, because that sort of taught, taught me how to sort of, um, to, to harmonise and to, to do sort of falsetto stuff and to sing and play. And so he would really, he would really push you, you know, Jack, Jack, he, Jack's got a good voice as well, our drummer, and he, he sang on the album as well. He'd get, he would get, you know, if he, if he sort of realised you could sing just a bit, he would he would make sure that you you know you'd get on the album. And he 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 was great, and we we ended up doing the second album with him as well. I think we did half of it in Rack. We did a mix of it in Rack with Dave Erringer, and then we did the other half in in Johnny's. And um, you know, he 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 was he from that day. Then we we sort of uh, get. I've got a really sort of strong relationship with him and, and yeah. a good friendship with you know with with his whole family really. Um, Sounds like he really invested in you at the time, didn't he? And helped and yeah, he did. I think we'd we'd you know, especially with Nat as well as a guitarist. Nat Nat learned a, a lot of stuff from him because Nat was like Nat's an amazing guitarist, you know, and um, the stuff. He's playing with Ben now. He's he's heavily into finger picking, and he's, he's he's very very good. And he he learned he learned all all sorts of styles of guitar and through Johnny really. You know, sort of like rock stuff, um, folk stuff. And we were listening to, you know, he got us into Bert Yanch. He got us into all sorts of different music. You know, XTC and Magazine and all these bands that. You know, we didn't we didn't really know about because we were we were kind of we were into it indie stuff really. I mean, it was really my sister that got me into bands like The Cure and Smiths, and and we were we were for a long time into heavier sort of stuff. But once we got once we sort of put that away of that sort of, that style of music, um, you know, we got really into that the the bands you know like indie stuff and. Um, yeah darker music electronic music but johnny would give you he would he would always sort of send you away with with music and it really you some of the tracks you know i might not have ever heard you know and that's a thing only through johnny really because he, he's yeah. got such a wealth of music mm -hmm. and um you learn you know you get inspired by it so and you try is, and it, sort of, is it right that he, he he has a background in playing jazz and soul music? Is that correct, or is that just something I read somewhere? Or I think he's. I mean, he can play. He can play all sorts of styles of guitar. Really, yeah. he right. he will get he will get into he will get into a certain style of music, and then he'll he'll you know the stuff he 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 hasn't learned. He'll just he'll just learn it. He, right. he works really, really hard, and um, but he's naturally, you know, he's he's his technique, and he's just a natural, you know, yeah. natural guitarist, you know. When you watch him play, it just looks effortless, because <laughs> you know, I I can play I can play bits of guitar, but I you know I can, I struggle on quite a lot of things, you know. But he yeah. he he teaches you everything you know he's taught me stuff on guitar and he's he's um he'll open you out into a whole different scene of sort of music and then it's amazing yeah it's fantastic so i guess really you you're excited to get back to it excited to get yes. back to gigging and, and you know as soon as you possibly can because i mean you know you're kind of grounded at the moment aren't you well hopefully you know i spoke to johnny not so long ago yes i spoke to johnny not so long ago and the, the hope is to sort of get back um gigging when we can really but um he's you know when he's in a he's writing a lot at the moment um I, like i suppose a lot of people are really with musicians mm. the 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 one the one good thing is that you can carry on writing and 
if you're lucky enough to be able to record stuff, then you, that def, definitely helps. You know, because personally, I don't think I don't know what I'd do without without that really. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's writing a lot, and the things fingers crossed, you know, we'll be able to get rehearsing again and get out next year. I mean, I don't. I've I've seen stuff that's been booked in for may and i know that dubs have booked in a tour and yeah so that you know that's that's really positive and hope you know hopefully even with that even with that social distance gig i saw even if there can be you know if that can happen or that's a stepping stone to sort of getting it back on its feet again i mean that would be great really some people do their best work when they're under pressure how do you react? Does it bring the demon out in you or are you at your most creative? And how do you cope with the rejection that's very often intrinsic to the music industry? Well, especially with Haven, we, we've had some real massive highs and massive lows, you know, because we, we, um, we got dropped after the second album and... Um, yeah, that was that was really tough because we we were living around that time. Virgin, Virgin, um, we got we got pretty big advance around that time because it was like two thousands when when they were sort of dishing out money quite a bit around that time. The nineties, they were, weren't they? There was advances, you know, which basically just big loans, aren't they? Really, but um, we, yeah, Joe was great in that he sort of. Um, yeah he looked after us with that side of the money. You know, we, we, we were managed, we managed to get a wage from that, that for quite a while still, still after we were dropped. But after that point when we were dropped and then, you know, we were struggling financially. It was hard. It was hard. I mean, it did, we did write a lot. We did write a lot of stuff. I mean, there is a, there is a third album there somewhere, you know, we, we did a lot of writing but it was very tough. You know, we were, it was, we obviously had to start working and get jobs, mm. go back really from what we did from the start, getting part-time jobs and then writing. And then it was back to that again, which is, it's tough because you're not doing those, those big gigs you were doing. You're not going to the big studios, you're not doing, and you, you know, you do, you kind of get used to that for a bit. And, um, it was hard and but we we just cracked on really we've i mean it was tough getting the band to to keep the band going around that point um and you're obviously getting older and so we you know we split up around that time and around that time when the band split up it was I mean, it was awful really there's a lot of stuff going on and it was kind of it's i think i mean had a bit of a break from music i was still trying to write write stuff but um we were all writing stuff separately and together but we we just kind of you know i think nat really wanted to move back to cornwall as well and he was really missing cornwall i was going to ask you that have you, have you got any plans to move back in the future or are, you, or are you happy where you are i think i think maybe the you know maybe into the future yeah. we might be i mean the, the thing is we we're lucky that we can go back you know me and my wife can go you know my folks are there and um we're lucky we buying a property there would be quite quite expensive these days yeah it's crazy down even though yeah. that's where you're from to move back would probably be yes yeah and it's really um so busy down there and there's the house prices have gone flying up so um i don't know i mean all you know my music and obviously my wife's work and with everything is is based around manchester really um we've been been here for a long time now so it would have to be probably a long i mean i do you know be brutally honest when you get when you go down there for a week or something it is tough to come back you know but you do, you do, um, you know, it just takes a few days and you're back, back to normal really. But it's the sea, you know, I do love being by the sea, but we're, we're lucky enough, to, you know, I'm, we're lucky to go on tour, you know, when we go on tour with Johnny and we get to see some, you know, amazing places. So we're, we're very lucky in that, in that way anyway. So, 
feel free to answer this next question from a political point of view or a spiritual point of view or as an industry professional, but is there something that you believe to be true that others would disagree with? Oh, that's a tough one. It is a tricky one, isn't it? It's one I ask all the guests and um, I wonder sometimes whether I should prep first for it. Oh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe you could <laughs> say no, I'm just, you know, there isn't really, but... Uh, I think... I mean, if you go in the political route, it, it kind of sometimes feels like there, I mean, there is a massive divide, isn't there, really, at the moment. It sometimes feels like the creative side of the world kind of knows what's going on. And then the other side kind of doesn't and is a bit sucked in by stuff. So sometimes it, I feel like, you know, but you're, all, you're always... The problem is with stuff like social media at the moment, you always get one one side, don't you? You know, there are there there are two sides of every sort of argument, but yeah, at the moment I feel like Yeah, I, I suppose the, the who you know, with politically and the, the way that the, the who we're run by, it does feel like you're out on your own a bit sometimes when because especially with all the Brexit side of it, no one could have believed or that that would even happen, you know. And when that did happen, I think I, I really did sort of believe in people. <laughs> I'm not being horrible because it's not, it's, it, you know, you're generalising, aren't you, because it's not everyone. But you start to go sort of, oh, wow, that's weird. I didn't, you know, you're thinking that's, that's more than 50%. So it's kind of like you... Yeah, it's gone that way, isn't it? I think the part where it used to be the other way around. So I think that kind of that, that, well, the people that I know and the friends that I know and the, the industry that I'm in, um, it feels like we kind of know, but I don't, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of arguments. The fact it? that we're living in a world where, yes, Brexit's happened, yes, the, the industry's on its yeah. knees, it's hard to believe, isn't it, really, that this is, this is the place it we're is, at, yeah. is the, you know. Yeah. And it's it's since Bowie passed away. Yeah. Ever, ever ever since from that from that from that day. I mean I think I don't know, maybe he knew, I don't know. But I saw him live once at Bingley Hall in Stafford on the Young Americans tour and it was um certainly a life changing performance. Yeah, a great loss. It's just upsetting sometimes. I mean I mean, I love the UK and I love, you know, and I did, you know, I do have faith in something. I think it's very negative to think that you can't have faith in people because I do have faith in people. I just think at the moment, I think a lot of, especially with press and stuff like that, there's a lot of, you know, there's so much lying going on, so much like duping people into believing certain things. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to try and be positive about it because, you know, especially especially for the youngsters as well and for, for young bands and for young, you know, uh, students, you've got to try and there's got to be some positivity, you know, and I think, I think soon at some point the youngsters will come through. And, um, yeah, they always do, don't they? They always do. They do. Yeah. And I think they get a lot of, they get, um, they get a bad rep, you know, it's, it's not easy being a youngster. It isn't. and the passing the book and the nonsense that's just happened the last two weeks with GCSE and A-level results. What nonsense. And this, this guy, Gavin Williamson, saying that the algorithm, the algorithm seemed fine in all the private schools, but, you know. Yeah, it, I know. That, my, my wife works for AQA. And um, she's, she's been working really hard and all the people that she works with have been working really hard and they've kind of made it up out that they're, they're the they're also not doing their job, which is completely out of order because I, I know how hard, like, we've got a lot of friends in AQA um, and, you know, she's been there for years, my wife has, and, and she, she works really, really hard. And they all do, you know. They've been working from home, they've been doing full solid days to try and, try and do as much as they can and for them to sort of make out that it's their fault as well as just... It's unforgivable, really. But I'm not, I'm not surprised. No, either. no. <laughs> not surprised by anything they do, to be honest. I just wish the 
people would be somebody would hold their hand up and say, yes, you know, we got that wrong. But instead of that, there's all the passing yeah. the book and ducking yeah. and diving going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I used to, uh, well, I teach a bit. Um, I do cover teaching for front row uh, music in uh, Dave Fiddler's um, company in, uh, we've got an office in Heaton Moor and um, I've been teaching primary school and, and you know the kids and some of the kids you teach are just are, are great you know and it's and it's a joy it's a joy to teach them you know and I think sometimes they get I just I just think it's very hard for them I think all the stuff surrounded with your phones and technology and you know you've got to look a certain way you've got to be a certain way you know it's like it's 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 hard you know so it's hard for children at the moment and I think that what happened recently what you're saying about the results is just it it kind of sums it up really because they just they just don't they don't seem to care do Absolutely. they you know so they'd rather get the they'd rather get the pubs back yeah. than the schools back you know just absolutely that's when you just, said you you're doing some teaching is that music or, or are you teaching generally yeah i do um yeah um i enjoy it we, we i've i have well i haven't i had a couple of private lessons that i did a bass lesson and uh, a guitar lesson um, that I'll probably start up again soon or, or um, but I do generally do some cover teaching really so you'd move around to different schools um, before yeah yeah before yeah because front row going they'll we'll teach at about eight children right. at a time sort of half an hour at a time and um, it's good because teaching is the default position for some musicians isn't it because it's a regular income but being the best instrumentalist or the best musician doesn't automatically transfer into the classroom do you, do you feel at home in front of young people in educational settings yes it's uh, when before i think we had a gap around i, I was teaching with um, front row for about three years um quite a while back when we had sort of um alongside sort of doing some music I, I think I might stop doing music for a bit and I was just just working really but um I learned I learned a lot really and I mean some some you get in some some tough situations you know because they are they are very young you know and they're and it's you've got to just you've obviously got to be very patient but some of the when you actually get the when they start playing the songs together and they start enjoying it and then you're playing it as a whole you know it, it is good it's it's very fulfilling and um yeah and it's sort of you it's good for your own you you're playing as well so anything where you you know you're actually playing and can only be yeah. good absolutely you mentioned a few minutes ago about having faith in people and i think you know we've we've got to have faith in people haven't we really i think that's the yeah you've, you've got uh, you have to really, because I mean, even the politicians. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just it is. It's just it's worrying times, and and I think you've got to try and have some positivity. You know, I mean, obviously, the COVID has just has been devastating for people, devastating for families and work, and it's it's you know I you know. I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever be back the same. You know, we, we none of us will know that really. But um, there has to be some positivity. You know, I think absolutely. I mean, this has been such a dreadful year. Yeah. You know, lots of people have lost lots of loved ones, and you know, it's not. It's it is a tough time, but there's people are strong, aren't they? And they'll fight yeah. back, and there will be you know there will be positivity and i think positivity and optimism is probably a great place to end you in yeah you've got to i mean yeah you can't you can't be too too it's very easy to be negative a lot of the times especially now so absolutely thank you very much thank you for being a guest thank you very much Craig. no problem at all Oh, what a lovely guy. Please have a listen to Ewan's latest EP, released yesterday, Out on a Limb. It's available from wherever you stream your music. It's absolutely fantastic, and I can't recommend it highly enough.
So thanks very much for listening to another Joe Gilligan Trust podcast. Thank you very much to you and Grano. What a lovely guy. What a really uh, interesting conversation we've had today. So I hope you've enjoyed it. It's the first in our series of talking music. Um, it's been an absolute privilege to meet you and, and to uh, learn about his career and uh, his plans for the future. So, as always, this podcast has been brought to you by all the lovely people who support the Joe Gilligan Trust in whatever form that is. So please have a listen, um, give us a review, give us a thumbs up, check out our Facebook page, our website, and if you are in a position to donate, that's always very welcome. <laughs>